Welcome to Icetown Clowns, a podcast that usually reviews every episode of Parks and Recreation, but you are listening to a special in-between seasons episode where, as sort of a, a palate cleanser, if you will, we are doing a deep dive on a nerd subject that means a lot to us, and we think deep down would mean a lot to the Parks and Recs characters, and that is random inconsistencies in Harry Potter that we could probably spend hours talking about. And have. Right, and have. If you tune into this podcast weekly because all you want to hear are our thoughts on Parks and Rec, and you don't care about what we have to say about Harry Potter, then feel free to skip this and wait for next week when we start Season 3, Episode 1. But if you are down for a little Harry Potter nerddom and just us getting this out of our system, then stay tuned because this is what happens when you give people microphones and they have power and they can talk about whatever they want. So, with that being said, I'm Katie. No? Guys, you're not here. I'm just doing this all by myself. I don't go second. <laughs> yeah, sorry, my, my thing froze. All right. I'm Jacob. And I'm very glad that Katie has accepted that she is a Hufflepuff. Ugh. <laughs> I am not. I am a Gryffindor. Okay, sure. With a high Hufflepuff percentage. <laughs> and, uh, yeah, welcome to our special Icetown Clowns uh, Harry Potter nerd out. So, dun, 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 dun. Exactly. We are going to start with, uh, <clears throat> Kirk, you, as I understand it, have some thoughts about how wands are treated particularly in the seventh book well i think that my issue with wand lore aside from the name in the harry potter universe is that it seems that wands function exactly how they need to function to either advance the plot or protect harry from obvious death in each and every single book like initially you have just the wands like the control. Let's get let's start, you know, book yep. seven, where wand control just shows up out of nowhere as this trait of wands, where if you defeat another wizard in battle, then his or her wand transfers its allegiance and therefore the ease of control from the defeated wizard to you. I don't see how that works when you're training kids to disarm each other all the time in a school or like, you know, any any situation where you might be playing around or goofing off with, you know, knocking each other's wands out or even slight skirmishes are the control of wands just veering left and right throughout all these battles. And shouldn't everyone's wand not respond to them because pretty much everyone in these fights has been knocked down or lost their wand or somehow otherwise disarmed at some point. Right. I mean, think about all of the book five Dumbledore's army training. I mean, yes. literally all of those kids' wants would respond to someone else other than them. Right. Like, this is literally, it's like, she got to the seventh book, 
And she needed some reason that Voldemort just didn't kill Harry right off the bat. So she came up with this, which is fine, but there's nothing establishing it earlier in the books. And when wands are described to us in books one and two, it, nothing like this is even implied. It's, you know, it's not, it's not quite as bad, but I feel like priori incantatum is the same thing where like just suddenly wands start regurgitating their previous spells. If there's some sort of connection between the two wands, which I like that you had the, the Fox, you know, feathers, you know, Phoenix feathers. The the Phoenix's name was Fox. Oh yeah. Fox. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, Totally. You're right. No, it is. F-A-W-K-E-S. Yes. Katie, uh, Foxes don't have feathers. So that would be pretty impressive. But Fox, Dumbledore's yeah. beloved phoenix, no. did have feathers. Yes, he did. You're right. Yes. I'm wrong. No. So I just like, I don't know. Like, obviously, books for kids. Got to, you know, grade on a curve. But I do feel like every now and then you can see where uh, J.K. Rowling wrote herself a bit into a corner and then just sort of walked out of it without really coming up with a a real rationale. And I think that particularly wand control rules that suddenly show up in book seven are an example of that. Well, my question would be, is this a problem with wand control rules or is this just a problem with the seventh book in general, which I just generally don't love. It's because you don't like camping. Conversation. It's because you don't I like camping, camping, Jacob. I love camping. I don't love Frodo Potter and the ring that's beating on his chest, wandering around that wants to go back to its master. Like, I I love the Lord of the Rings. I don't love the seventh book. No, you're just wrong there. I mean, so the Katie's Katie's reevaluating our friendship (laughs) live on air. So my problem with the whole wand rules thing is also this is. This is a certain this sort of issue you have in a narrative that could have been fixed with just one little extra line of dialogue or one little tweak. Like, just make these weird rules about wand control only apply to the Elder Wand because of its mm. sheer power and right. amazingness. Right. Right. That would have made sense. And I, I think that in some ways she tried and she tried to make it be just a Harry and Voldemort because their wand shared twin cores kind of thing but then it as she sort of logically expanded out from there it couldn't be just that and yeah unfortunately we did get ourselves into kind of a corner where why on earth would the wand not respond to Malfoy and yeah I, I think she could have done it in a way that made sense. And unfortunately, there were some logical gaps there. Not big ones, but little ones that every time I read the seventh book, I get to a few passages where I'm like, eh, this negates a few things that happened in books one, two, and three. Four. Yeah, I, th- I think part of what you're dealing with here is that they just stopped editing her after book four. I think that, like, I don't think she was taking many notes on the books, and they certainly weren't doing anything to address, like, plot momentum problems or length issues, as ably demonstrated by book five, which is a chore to read, but amazing to watch. It's a great movie, but, ugh, book five is tough. So Really? We don't like book five? Well, I don't... So I don't like part of it is that Harry is 15 years old in book five and you're stuck inside the head of a 15 year old, which she very accurately conveys, uh, I think, through her writing. But 15 year olds really suck. 
And <laughs> it's not a great perspective to be sort so, of stuck in for 8,000 pages. I, I agree, but, and, and Jacob knows this because this is a conversation we've had before. I, I very much agreed until about two years ago. And I think two rereads of Harry Potter ago, I realized... <laughs> Katie, Katie, I love you, but there are other books. <laughs> eh. <laughs> Doubtful, if you say so. Um, I really came to the realization that book five is kind of incredible. Like, yes, you have to slog through Harry Potter at 15 and he's annoying, but the the message, the anti-establishment message of that book is fantastic in a way that, like, do- certainly doesn't exist in books one through four. And even though it's in book six and book seven, like, book five is the, like, damn the man, save the empire, fuck these people that think that they know better about the evil that we're fighting and that are just trying to cover it up to save their own ass. Like, book five means something unbelievably special to me now that I I agree. I used to hate it. It was way at the bottom. And now it is... It's like number two or three for me. Depending uh, so, on Katie, the Katie, day. are you saying, Katie, are you saying that you like book five because in that book, the young, angry people learn they need to screw the establishment and make Hogwarts great again? Um, I don't like the language <laughs> that you used for that, but I like the take down the establishment, don't trust your government that's not looking out for your interests part of it for sure kirk's message just resonated in the midwest (laughs) yeah i'm just saying (laughs) i will also say just to wrap this up there's one more thing that really pisses me off about the elder wand which is if it is so powerful and so useful and so like unique and just just gives harry this ability to take care of things like he does at the end of the book why doesn't he use it to kill mark brandanowitz if only. I do. I do have a quick question for this group. How many times do we all think we've read these books, Katie? I, I think you should probably <laughs> go first here. I have probably read the series eight times. Okay, it's okay. a it's a rough guesstimate. So I have read. All seven books three or four times, and I've read books one through six one more time than I've read book seven because I read all six of the first six books in the lead up to book seven. And then I think I've read um, like uh, book seven. Yeah, I think I've done three reads through of book seven, which I guess actually mean I've read the other books five times. Okay, I've read them all twice. So I, 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 I like you may have a trump card on me. I, I don't know how the fifth or seventh book would play on my eighth reading. I imagine there's a sideshow Bob stepping on rakes effect at some point. Um, I'm really into it, guys. I reread yeah, no. it like at least once a year. 
I do own all of the movies on iTunes, and I do watch them uh, during, I, during yes. holiday times. They're very Christmassy movies to me. Yes, I watch all of. I own all of them on iTunes and watch them. Carter owns all of them on audiobook, and I own them all um, on Kindle. And then we have a sporadic version of all of them somewhere in print. So okay, yep, that sounds about right. Yeah. Um, so, my thought on Harry Potter is, if you work at Hogwarts, do you have to be single? Because none of the professors are married, or have children, or have any kind of significant other ever that we hear about for seven straight books. Every single person that teaches there is single. And so is that part of the agreement when you go to teach at Hogwarts? So according to Pottermore, Professor McGonagall was married at one point, but is widowed by the time those books take place. Okay. That's not in the books. <laughs> like fine i mean pottermore is like pretty close to canon so i'm not gonna like dispute it but no one professor flitwick professor trelawney snape dumbledore literally hagrid no one has okay. some sort of significant live-in family so we don't know much about flitwick um Hagrid is trying pretty hard with the giantess I mean, from he is, France. But she doesn't, like, live there. You no, know they I mean? definitely like, hooked up. Right. Snape has some really unhealthy relationship <laughs> issues. Sure. Kind of sure. fleshed out as the story proceeds. Sure. Um, and asks Harry to stare longingly into his eyes as he dies. I mean, right. No, it's rough. It's rough. <laughs> yeah. Snape is rough. So, and, like, who's going to marry Trelawney, right? But even all the defense against the dark arts professors, which we have one okay. year, which, wait, can I just tell you guys that we were, I was talking about this with Carter, who has read these books a, a couple of times and listened to them all on audio. And the other day he was like, you know, I think it's weird that the moment Harry started Hogwarts is when they started having just one professor for the Defense Against the Dark Arts job every year. And I was like, what? 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 <laughs> like, did you miss an entire chapter of book seven? Anyway, just well, nerd moment I mean, that, in our that, house. Not important. I think that's actually, like, I think they mentioned that the, 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 the job always turns over in book one. And I think they specifically say that Voldemort sort of cursed the job in book five when he didn't get hired for it. It's book so. seven. No, book six. We see Dumbledore actually shows Harry oh, a right. memory of Voldemort you're right, coming you're right. and cursing the job. So anyway, I, I just was yeah. sort of, I, I didn't realize that was in common knowledge. But anyway, literally every person that comes to take that job is single, unmarried, no children at the time. And so I think it begs the question, like, is Dumbledore and all previous headmasters, do you have to sign some sort of contract before you come to teach at Hogwarts? Is it sheer coincidence, which seems 
Very unlikely. They are British. Okay. I mean, we don't so get the to Weasleys, know many of them. Like... No, no, they're yeah, not. Okay. No, they're the, not. The We're going to get there. The Weasleys have red hair and are very poor. They're clearly Irish Catholics. <laughs> yep. Yep. We're, so, this is coming. Yeah. Um, no. I will have to say that if you Google Dumbledore's boyfriend, a picture of Johnny Depp shows up right at the top of the screen <laughs> from that really bad movie that came out last year. Uh, so, like, obviously, Dumbledore wasn't celibate uh, in his life. Right. And, yeah, we all agree that these professors are hooking up on the side and the, the kids just don't know about it, right? I hadn't really thought of that. Are they? I mean, I don't know. I mean, who of these professors are hooking up? Like, I like I don't know the specifics. Like, I, I don't know that we know, but you know, I, I think it's safe to assume that you know, somebody, somebody, somebody's having fun that that the kids just don't know about. Fred and George probably do, right. but you know, Harry and Harry and Ron and Hermione are a little uh, a, a little naive. I imagine if you were to glance at the Marauder's map in the middle of the night, you might find that certain footprints are not where they're supposed to be over in the professor's dorm. Hmm. A lot of traffic to Hagrid's cabin. Oh, God. (laughs) I just really don't agree with any of that. I think that there's some sort of agreement that if you come to Hogwarts, you are single and unmarried, and that is just the old-fashioned rule of what it takes to be a professor there. Can I also posit a different theory? They take the black? Sure. No, that th- these are children's books? <laughs> so no, so we talked, I talked about this again with Carter, because here's the thing, that would absolutely hold up if this were like books one, two, three, and four, right? If we didn't hear about anything for those beginning books. But by the time we get to book seven, that's not realistic. Like, McGonagall's in the order. Like, if McGonagall had some sort Widower. of, like... I mean, widow. So, yeah. But, but still, like, if these people had important, significant others... Like Remus does? Exactly. Like, Remus leaves Hogwarts, and then he and Tonks get together. Like... In that same vein, we would be hearing about it if these people had important, significant others. Like, they would also be in the order. It would be part of the story because as Ron and Harry and Hermione age and see these people as sort of members of the order and peers in this fight against Voldemort, like, we would know more about their lives just like we do about the other adults in the order whose lives we learn more about and so i think on purpose they don't have any significant others or we'd hear about them yeah going to molestown yeah all right i'm just saying i think it's weird and not weird necessarily but i just think i think it's a thing about hogwarts that is unspoken or as Jacob said it's a thing about England. I mean, how long do Harry and Hermione spend hanging out in the woods all alone for night after night after night? They danced that one time. In the movie. <laughs> I know. Which was weird. I actually love that scene. It's a great scene. It's like, uh, it just, there's something so heartwarming about it. that Ron's not there. They have to dance. Right. 
in celebration. No. All right, fine. So, moving on to Jacob. <clears throat> your honor, may it please the court. Okay, so each of you has a position here. I'm happy to hear your arguments before expressing my own. So, All right, Jacob, do you want to go charge by charge? You I got mean, four minutes, Jacob, so... All right, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to present the case. Okay. Here's what we have. Fair we have an indictment against Ron Weasley on multiple counts for being the goddamn worst. And here are the counts. One, he's a nice guy in the first degree. Two, he's a fucking downer with his friends for no apparent reason when their lives are actually much worse than his in many ways. And three, he's a self-centered asshole who puts the world at risk because he gets hungry. Okay, let's start with charge one. The nice guy in the first degree. My main evidence of this, let's look at the Yule Ball. When Hermione, you know, brings a date Who? because... <laughs> Hermione, I can't say that name right. Look, I can't talk right. It's a problem. I'm not Ron. I'm, I'm better than him. Look, Ron, Ron doesn't ask Hermione... He gets butthurt because she eventually brings a dude. This is a pattern that repeats itself over and over. He thinks when he eventually shows up to ask Hermione, she owes him something because, oh, he suddenly paid attention to her. His worst fear in the world at one point is that his two friends are going to be happy together. He does nothing to earn her affection and yet constantly feels entitled to it in the moments when he wants it. That's charge one. Charge two. Being being a being the Eeyore of this story. Look, let's look at the facts. His family is poor. But they're large and loving and a steeply supportive family. This is contrasted with his best friend, Harry, who literally lives under the stairs in his aunt and uncle's house because his parents are dead, and he now lives in a situation where child protective services should be called to save him. And yet Ron constantly gets to be the one to say how terrible his life and his circumstances are. That's just the worst. Who wants that guy as a friend? All he does is constantly whine about this. In fact, when they're in the woods at one point looking for Horcruxes or, or Hillary Clinton, I'm unclear which, at one point, Ron says Harry doesn't understand how terrible it must be to fear that his something might have happened to his family because his parents are dead. He wouldn't understand. That's just the worst. How do we accept this guy as a rational person? On charge three, we get to the point where they're wandering around looking for horcruxes. The fate of the world is literally at stake in the seventh book. These three are going to save it. And at one point, Ron actually abandons the group not because of any philosophical difference or better plan to go win the war with Voldemort, but because he's kind of hungry and he gets afraid that Harry and, Hermo and Hermione are getting too close to each other. And Motion that... to dismiss for mispronunciation of Hermione. Closing in on it, but I'll allow it. Okay, well, look... 
you threw me off, and 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 I'm not used to people objecting in the middle of my speeches. Look, <laughs> well, then, my um, friend, pick a different profession. All right, fine. Look, the um, you know the way the way that interaction goes. I've discussed my dislike of the Frodo Potter storyline before, but the enjoyment of watching Harry and his friends try to save the world should offset that, and yet. You know, this is supposed to be the Samwise Gamgee of the group. I don't remember the part where Sam aban- abandons Frodo to go look for breakfast. If anything, he brings breakfast back to Frodo and then carries him up the mountain. Your Honor, I rest my case. Ron is just the worst. Uh, Katie? So, bringing us to uh, Charge 1... Which, again, I I requested a bill of particulars from the state because nice guy in the first degree seems to be unreasonably vague. Uh, The state provided the Yule Ball as an example. So it appears here that the charge leveled against Ron is that at 14, at his (laughs) first boy-girl function, he has difficulty controlling his emotions and listen we're gonna concede right now the weeks leading up to the yule ball and his actions at the yule ball itself are not ron weasley's finest moment um these are not the the best moments that ron has to put before this court but again the charge here if we look at what's charged is Ron being a nice guy in the first degree? Here's the thing about this Yule Ball thing. Ron is 14 years old. You know what? He's being the fucking worst here. This is actually close to the worst that we see Ron. He's not pretending to be a nice guy. He's not out there being like, oh, Ron, how sad. He's so nice. What nice guy in the first degree is, is would be, say, if Neville Longbottom, who attended the ball with Ginny Weasley because she felt sad for him, then demanded that Ginny Weasley sleep with him. And then when she didn't, went around and trashed her to the entire Hogwarts school. That would be being a nice guy in the first degree pretending to be a nice guy, garnering sympathy, and then being enraged when that sort of nice guy persona wasn't rewarded. That's not at all Katie, what you have, here. Uh, Katie, you, you've used half your time on your first argument. So. Uh, that's fine. Um, <laughs> okay. More than, more than that, that happens a lot. So anyway, okay. this count is mischarged, and I think thus fails. Charge number two and three, I think, go together, right? Uh, To try to say that Ron is a downer when his friends have it worse is sort of like saying, I can't ever be upset about the food that I'm eating because there are children starving in Africa. Like, yes, Ron has had a pretty sheltered upbringing, but... Ron Weasley has to deal with a lot. Like, he is there with Harry 
all the time. He is fighting these battles. He is trying to defeat Voldemort. He is strategizing. And yet Dumbledore barely knows who Ron is. Ron is the youngest male of a family that is, I think, two head boys, uh, one of whom is fighting dragons, one of whom is in Gringotts. Fred and George are legends, both first at Hogwarts and then in the business world. Ron is trying to find a place for himself. That is not an existential crisis for a teenage boy that we should just slough off and say, how dare you ever have to deal with that emotionally? Um, Ron isn't just... The comparison to Samwise McGee is, in fact, perfect. Like, Ron... Samwise McGee? Who the fuck is Samwise McGee? Okay. Yeah, I forgot his name. Whatever. Gamgee. Gamgee McGee. Very similar. They don't, Continue, Katie. Ron doesn't exist just to be in relation to Harry. He is his own whole person dealing with all of his own emotions and his own feelings that absolutely deserve to be taken into account. Also, the accusation that Ron is somehow being a downer that we should be angry about, please point to me a time when Hermione isn't being a downer. Like, oh, I'm sorry, is she a white female in, like, private education who is incredibly intelligent like what a terrible life for Hermione like she's in the exact same situation if not a much better situation than Ron and she is all the time trying to bring everybody down trying to make sure oh don't take this potion don't sneak off to Hogsmeade close your mind to Voldemort like Hermione's there being a downer all the time and yet we're not having any of these conversations about Hermione. And number three... Objection, Skylar White defense. It is ridiculous. Overruled. That we are saying that Ron is always self-centered. Number one, as Kirk has already brought out, book five, even though I have come around to it, is literally like 900 pages of Harry being the most self-centered that a hero could possibly be. But, Almost destroys the world. But Ron risks being grounded to go pick Harry up in a flying car in book two. <laughs> gives Harry Christmas gifts throughout the series, including Chudley Cannon hats, books on witches. Um, he's worried about what will happen to the house elves at the end of book seven. He agrees to go find the Horcruxes with Harry. He agrees to go check on Aragog for Hagrid, despite how scared of spiders he is. And finally, the accusation that Ronald Weasley is incapable of happiness for others is ridiculous. Ron is happy for his friends, for the fellow members of his house all the time. He is happy for the Quidditch team when it wins, long before he's a member of it. He's proud of Harry for defeating Voldemort. Every time that that happens, he's happy when his dad doesn't die. He's happy for Harry and Ginny to be together. He's proud of Hermione when she does good magic later on in the books. He's happy when Hermione punches out Malfoy in book three. Um, 
he is all the time happy for things that happen to his friends. Every accusation leveled against Ron is really an accusation against being a teenage boy, and you could apply every single one of these points to Harry Potter. So I think we need to look at why we are judging Ron for these things and not Harry for these things, because all of these accusations could apply to both of them. Ron Weasley is a fucking outstanding best friend who goes through his own stuff that we need to be just as accommodating for as we are for Harry and just as appreciative for what he is going through and the defense rests. I think you both make compelling and interesting arguments. And of course, the final disposition of this case will be handled, I believe, through a a Twitter poll that we'll be posting on our Twitter feed uh, sometime in the next uh, day or so, or hopefully by the time that you hear this podcast. If I were to weigh in on this case, I would have to think that first, in terms of count one, Katie is pretty correct that you basically made an argument against both Harry and Ron, which kind of obviates the entire point of the argument. And they can't both be guilty? Well, they can't both be the worst, because... Well, fair enough, fair <laughs> enough. Actual, actual good argument. Yep. Um, and regarding points two or three, which I agree, Jacob, you, your, your, your case is stronger on those points um, than they are on point one, but, man, I'm not going to let you do that to yourself, because you're totally the Ron of our group, and... I love you too much to let that happen. Okay. So I'm oh. so I'm deciding for Katie Burn. here. <laughs> okay. Okay. <laughs> All right. I'm hungry. I'm leaving. <laughs> Wait. Is a little spot of light gonna bring you back? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. All right. Well, you know, you know, some of us, some of us can stick to our time limits better than others and whine about it afterwards, like Ron Weasley. Okay. Very good. All right. So um, we've sort of all gotten to go in our our deep dive of Harry Potter, which perhaps gets some of it out of our system so that when we return to talking about Parks and Rec, we will stay slightly more on task. Overruled. Please send us lots of email about this episode so we can keep talking about Harry Potter on the regular show. That will also probably happen. Um, I would just like to say... I fundamentally disagree with ever saying anything negative about Harry Potter as it is canon and no one can see me in my house, but I just cross myself and I am not sure that we should ever be saying anything negative about it, but I got talked into doing this episode and coming up with things to argue. So here we are. Yep. All right. All right. Anything else that anybody just has to get off their chest or they're just never going to be able to live with themselves? Hufflepuff sucks. Dumbledore really was being irresponsible in how he handled Harry and could have caused the entire destruction of the world because he didn't really pay attention to the kid he's supposed to protect, who's the fucking chosen one, who's the only person who can stop Voldemort, and he lets him almost kill himself like 50 times. You had one job. One job. Come on, Dumbledore. I agree with both of those things. All right, we will return next week with... An actual episode about Parks and Recreation. It will be season three, episode one. So if you think this was a horrible idea and you never want to hear us talk about anything that's not Parks and Rec, 
you can feel free to tell us at icetownclowns at gmail.com. You can write us on our Facebook page at facebook.com slash icetownclowns. Feel free to tweet at us at icetownclownpod or just go to our website to download this episode, icetownclowns.com. Thank you for listening to our episode. We are the best Parks and Rec podcast about Harry Potter in America. And as Katie said, next week we start season three. So please go out and watch the first episode. Go big or go home uh, before coming back here next Thursday. And while you're out there doing stuff on the internet and watching this episode, please throw us a rating in the iTunes store. It really helps us find new listeners. You've been listening to Ice Town Clowns, a podcast usually about Parks and Rec that we are at the end of. And that end is now. Pop, pop! <laughs>